Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever we're having right now. Uh, I want to thank you guys for putting me in your ears for the uh, next 20 minutes or so. Um, I am thrilled to be serving uh, in an opportunity to help you guys uh, with some information. Uh, today is going to be a little bit different with Church Emergency Podcast. Um, let's start off with who I am. Uh, my name is Terry Beringer. I own and operate Church Emergency Consulting. It's a consulting company that has started off with just churches and houses of worship, uh, thus the term church emergency years back. I have since then been uh, honored to uh, partner out to other organizations, uh, construction companies, uh, heating and ventil ventilation, HVAC companies, um, lawn care companies, uh, Companies that do decorations. I mean, I've had so many vast uh, different organizations uh, ask for my assistance and have been thrilled to death to teach them. I do CPR training and uh, first aid training for a lot of these companies, as well as stop the bleed uh, when uh, it is necessary as well. I also do active shooter training, uh, active intruder training in some places uh, as well. We do... Uh, Infection control for uh, healthcare organizations. Like I said, anything you can imagine being trained on, we will do it. We are OSHA certified trainers, uh, and we do do OSHA uh, workplace safety training for many of our industrial and uh, commercial clients. With that being said, a lot of times I'm discussing having appendages. Um, dismembered and how to watch out for uh, a active shooter or someone who's trying to steal a purse. Today we're going to get a little, <clears throat> how shall we say, nicer. <laughs> we're going to be talking about something that is so wonderful. Um, it is officially December 1st, 2023. Uh, I was always told never put a date on your podcasts because it does not make them green or uh, able to be you know, followed through without a time date stamp put on them. But I think it's important to know that it is December 1st, and I hope we all had a wonderful, wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. As we look at the month of December, uh, and with Christmas uh, looming very uh, precariously on the calendar, I thought we would look at something a little different, um, something known as the Christmas truce. Now, uh, I know I'm a, a, a fan of history, uh, I love, I've always been a student of history, and uh, I'm sure some of you people have uh, heard of the Christmas truce back in school days, uh, but let's go into it a little bit detail. Uh, the rough estimate or the rough um, stats on this uh, is the date, December 24th through December 26th, and the year was 1914. Yes, the beginning of World War One or what everybody was thinking, the war to end all wars, uh, not knowing there would be a 2 and a uh, 2A and a 2B and a 3A. Yeah, anyways, the location. We're in Europe, mainly the Western Front of Belgium, uh, specifically. Uh, the participants, uh, mainly the soldiers from England, uh, France, and Germany. There was some... Other ones involved, but those, for the most part, were the important key players in this story. 
the Christmas truce, uh, which is difficult to say sometimes, the Christmas truce. Anyways, the Christmas truce occurred five months uh, after the hostilities of World War I actually had begun. So we're five months into this war to end all wars. Lulls had occurred. Uh, the fighting had slowed significantly uh, in the fighting as the armies ran out of manpower. They ran out of man. Men, they were actually losing more men than they could resupply. Uh, they also were running out of ammunition. Uh, and the commanders at this point in time thought, you know what, let's slow up a little bit, consider some new strategies, you know, do that, uh, you know, drop back five yards and, um, uh, and, and uh, gather our thoughts. In some of the areas, uh, men from both sides during this lull had ventured into no man's land on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Uh, they actually mingled. They exchanged food um, and snacks and treats from home, as well as souvenirs. Uh, there were also joint burial ceremonies. Uh, there's prisoner swaps. You know, I'll give you one for two and two for one kind of a deal. And uh, there were several meetings uh, actually in, uh, concluded in caroling, uh, being between the two services or between the two sides. Uh, there was actually a, a point where some men played games of football. Uh, if you're an American, it's called soccer. But hey, I'm not going to get into that discrepancy right now. Um, from what I understand, uh, the ball came from the German side, if I remember that correctly. Uh, it cre actually, that created one of the most memorable pictures ever taken. Uh, if you have the opportunity, Google search um, football or soccer uh, during you know, Christmas truce. It's a very interesting picture to see um, teams from Germany and England and France playing soccer. I'm sorry, football together. The following year, a few of the units arranged ceasefires, uh, but the truces were not nearly widespread for simple fact that um, this was now 1915, and uh, there was strongly worded orders from the commanders um, absolutely prohibiting any type of truce uh, between the services. Uh, now, if we want to get into a little bit of the background and more of the details... That was like the Reader's Digest condensed version of it. Um, during the first eight weeks of World War I, the French and the British troops stopped the German attacking through Belgium into France, uh, just outside of Paris. Matter of fact, uh, it was called the Battle of Marne. Uh, that's the best French uh, I can give you, sorry. M-A-R-N-E. So Marne. Marne, Marne. Uh, this was early September of 1914. The Germans fell back where they dug in, and the two sides made reciprocal trenches. Now, if you want to get technical, that means they were right alongside each other in a line. Uh, by November, both sides had built continuous lines the entire length from the North Sea all the way up to the Swiss uh, frontier. Uh, and the funny thing is, is the proximity of these trenches oftentimes were 20 to 30 yards apart. Uh, and it made it very easy for soldiers to actually shout greetings uh, to each other from trench to trench. Uh, men would frequently exchange news or greetings sometimes. Uh, it, it also helped that they had a common language, uh, and that being English, because many of the German soldiers had lived in England, uh, particularly in the London area. Uh, so they were familiar with the language and the society of their opponent, uh, of their quote-unquote enemies. Several British soldiers uh, recorded instances, instances of Germans uh, asking about news, uh, mainly of 
<laughs> football leagues or soccer teams uh, in, in Europe. Uh, other conversations were as simple as discussing the weather back home, quote-unquote. Uh, a couple of the messages were actually, um, can you send a message to a sweetheart? Um, one gentleman uh, recalled uh, asking about uh, a specific, specific store uh, that he went to frequently in, in London. Uh, this brings us up to Christmas of 1914. Uh, so there's roughly 100,000 British and German troops involved in this informal ceasefire, cessation of hostility, however you want to call this truce. I'll just call it a truce. Uh, and this along the western front of the battle. Uh, it started by the Germans actually placing candles on their trenches, and they actually had little Christmas trees that they would put on top of their trenches. Uh, then this celebration continued. Uh, the Germans were singing Christmas carols. Um, the British responded by singing Christmas carols of their own, and uh, at one point the two sides uh, were shouting Christmas greetings to each other back and forth over those 20 to 30 yards of trenches. Uh, soon thereafter, there were little excursions across no man's land. Um, small gifts were exchanged, uh, food, tobacco, big time. Uh, alcohol, I'm sure, was big time as well. Souvenirs, and uh, the interesting thing is a lot of times if they had buttons, uh, they would exchange buttons and hats even uh, at that point in time. It was weird because the artillery in both on both sides uh, of the region fell completely silent for the first time. And um, the truce also allowed a brief time where recently killed in action soldiers could be brought back and uh, buried. Uh, they had burial parties on both sides uh, trying to take care of the dead and injured. Uh, there were even joint burial services uh, held on both sides with uh, the enemy attending burial services. Uh, in some of the uh, areas, the truce lasted through Christmas night and continued on through New Year's Day even. Uh, but the uh, for the most part, it was just for... Uh, the three days or so around Christmas. The interesting thing, British Brigadier General Walter Congreve, uh, who was the commander of the 18th Infantry Brigade, uh, he was stationed near Chapelle. Uh, he wrote a letter regard regarding the uh, truce, and he uh, mentioned they recalled the Germans declared a truce for that day, and they agreed. Um, one of his men bravely lifted his head above the trench line. They, they referred to it as a parapet. Uh, and the others from both sides walked onto no man's land, is how he described it. Officers and men shook hands and exchanged cigarettes and cigars. Uh, one of his captains uh, smoked a cigar with the best shot in Germany. They said this was Germany's best sniper, and they noted that he was no more than 18 years old. Uh, so that was an interesting aspect. Congrave admitted that he was a little reluctant uh, at first when he started to witness the truth uh, for fear that Germans would have other snipers out there, uh, but found out that uh, it was indeed a wonderful Christmas truce. Uh, some of the other uh, great uh, descriptions of this and testimonials of it, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Barnesfather, um, he had fought through the entire World War I, uh, and he wrote, uh, I wouldn't have missed this unique and weird Christmas day for anything. Uh, I spotted a German officer, some sort of lieutenant, I should think, and being a bit of a collector, I shared that I had taken fancy to some of his buttons. He quickly took a knife and removed a couple of his buttons and put them in, and I put them in my pocket. I then gave him two of mine in exchange. They were actually exchanging buttons from their uniform. Uh, he then wrote, 
one of my machine gunners who was a barber in civilian life prior to enrolling uh, in battle uh, was seen cutting the unnaturally long hair of a docile German uh, who was patiently kneeling on the ground whilst the clippers crept up the back of his neck, unquote. Uh, what a great story to see uh, that occurring. Another gentleman, Captain Sir Edward Hulls, uh, reported how the first interpreter he met from Germany uh, was from Suffolk, England. Uh, and he had left his girlfriend and a 3.5 horsepower motorcycle, and he wanted to know if he had seen either of them. Um, not, I'm not sure which he put more importance on, uh, the girlfriend or the motorcycle. Uh, he described also um, singing, uh, which uh, concluded uh, with all of the uh, soldiers from both sides joining in with all Lang Syne uh, at the end of their gathering. Uh, another gentleman, Captain Robert Miles, he was of the uh, light infantry. Uh, he, he noted uh, Friday was Christmas Day, and we were having the most extraordinary Christmas Day imaginable, uh, a sort of unarranged and quiet, unauthorized, but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce existed between the two sides, uh, and we became our friends in the front. Um, a funny thing is... It only seems to exist in this part of the battle line, he said. Uh, on our right and our left, we can all hear them firing away as cheerfully as ever, quote unquote. Um, the thing that started last night, he said, a bitter cold night with white frost soon after dusk when the Germans started shouting, Merry Christmas, Englishmen. Uh, and and uh, of course, his fellow English uh, soldiers uh, started shouting back uh, the same. Suddenly, a large number of both sides had left their trenches completely unarmed, and met in the shot-riddled no-man's-land between the lines. Here the agreement came to be made that we should not fire at each other until at least after midnight. Um, the men were all frat, well, fraternizing. They were hanging out together uh, in the middle, and they swapped cigarettes and lies of the utmost good fellowship. Uh, not a shot was fired all night, he said, he said in his, uh, his quote in his letter. A German lieutenant... So we've heard some from the English side. Let's hear from the, some of the German side. A German lieutenant, uh, Johannes Niemann, wrote, I grabbed my binoculars and looked cautiously over the trench and saw the incredible sight of our soldiers exchanging cigarettes, schnapps, and chocolate with the enemy. Um, afterwards, Sir uh, Horace Smith uh, which was the commander of the 2nd British Corps, issued orders forbidding friendly communications with the opposing German troops. Uh, another interesting aspect was uh, the opinion of another young man in the World War II by the name of Adolf Hitler. Uh, he was in the 16th Bavarian Reserve Infantry, and he was also noted as being a total opponent of the truce. Uh, boy, some people start off bad and get worse, don't they? A um, couple other things which was mentioned, uh, we did talk a little bit about the football matches or the soccer games. Uh, there are many accounts of the truce involving uh, one or more football games or matches or you know games springing up uh, in no man's land. Uh, this was mentioned in some of the earliest reports and one of the letters written by a doctor who was attached to the English Rifle Brigade. Uh, this was published on January 1st of 1915. And he reported uh, a football match played between them and us in front of the trench, quote-unquote. Uh, similar stories have been told over the years. Uh, some accounts of the game even giving the score of a 3-2 to two, uh, win by the Germans. Um, 
Well, it's nice that they can win this soccer match, but not the war. So um, it's uh, interesting. As we look at these things of these stories of two bitter rivals uh, at war, bitter enemies, um, pausing to stop and celebrate uh, Christmas holiday together. Uh, I look at these turbulent times we're living in right now. We're living in um, coming up towards the end of 2023. Um, let's consider how one time there was bitter enemies at war that came together even for a short period in peace. Uh, it's that peace uh, that I pray and the joy and the peace that this story brings that can be held in the hearts of those listening. Uh, I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, or whatever holiday you're uh, celebrating this year, I want you to know that we are all in this together. We are all um, our neighbors. Uh, as I'm studying uh, another program for another job I'm doing, uh, is with the Good Samaritan and the strange aspects of the Good Samaritan, um, the people who were on his side, the guy that was beat up, um, was uh, totally neglected. Talk about you know, uh, no apathy for your common man. It was a foreigner, a, an enemy uh, of the uh, Jewish gentleman, uh, a Samaritan, who at the time the Samaritans and the Jews were not real good friendly folks. Um, they were bitter enemies as well. But yet the good Samaritan stopped and put him on his donkey and took him to uh, a um, inn and uh, paid for him to be cared for, uh, promising to pay anything extra afterwards. During this time of the year, uh, let's, all, uh, let's all slow down a little bit and uh, see somebody that we know is in need and uh, throw them on our donkey and take them to an inn. Uh, that being, of course, helping your fellow man. Um, God's told us over and over again, uh, your neighbor is who you need to be uh, loving. Uh, and by loving your neighbor, uh, you are indeed also uh, loving God. So that I will say, uh, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you guys are celebrating. I would hope that you enjoy your time with your family and with your friends. Uh, and once the new year finishes up and uh, training starts back over in January, please contact me at terry at churchemergency.com. You can also contact me via phone or text at 412-527-3673. Once again, that is churchemergency.com. The company is Church Emergency Consulting, and my name is Terry Beringer, and I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas and New Year, and I look forward to hearing from some of you uh, in the 2024. Uh, have a great day. Thank you very much for this wonderful year we've had here, and look forward to having more time together in the future.